Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today interview series. We feel lucky to be able to talk to so many smart, passionate, and knowledgeable people in healthcare. Now, we're taking our favorite interviews and sharing them with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy perspectives on the world of health IT. Hi, and welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm Colin Hung, and today I'm very excited to sit down with Josh Wildstein, CEO of Figure One one of the only closed-loop social media networks for clinicians that are available and a great educational tool for clinicians as well. Josh, welcome to the program. Thank you, Colin. Nice to be here. Now, Josh, maybe before we get started, can you give our audience a quick overview of what Figure One is? The easiest way for most people to think about Figure One, and often the way the press would refer to it, is the Instagram for doctors. We are a case uh, medical knowledge sharing platform. So case-based knowledge sharing platform where HCPs from all over the world. So healthcare professionals of all types come and share information all around medical cases. And those images can range from patient images to everything from EKGs or MRIs to things like notes on a napkin. But everybody's coming to essentially help each other get more information to solve and improve the outcomes for patients. You know, figure one has always been fascinating to me because you have succeeded in doing something that all of us who are on traditional social media platforms like Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook have not been able to do. And, and that is convince clinicians actually to come on and, and participate. I mean, there are some, but nowhere near the numbers uh, that you have been able to, to uh, drive to the figure one platform. Why do you think you succeeded where maybe Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook failed to capture that audience? I think probably the biggest thing is a combination of number one, security. We can ensure for the clinician that um, there will be no issues around patient privacy or patient information. Two is we have a really nicely designed product. And so it's very easy to engage. Um, and I think that the collegiality within the community really helps drive kind of a network effect around getting more and more folks in there. And so, you know, whereas LinkedIn, I think is more well positioned around business. And a lot of the clinicians that I see in there are talking more around the business of digital health, um, you know, and Twitter really much more focused while there is of course med Twitter, much more of a wild west, you don't quite know what's going on. It's much more difficult, I think, to feel um, safe about sharing patient information there. Um, and so I think that kind of combination of security, really nice, easy to use in your pocket, um, with a robust community is really the, the key. Now, do you do anything special to encourage clinicians to contribute or participate in the conversations that are happening on Figure One? So really the key is that we um, really try to make it very clear to clinicians um, that there's a very collegial atmosphere on the product and make it very simple and easy for them to come in and very quickly figure out a way to kind of feel like their contribution is being valued. And so we do things on our own to try to drive um, engagement onto the platform around various things like case-based quizzes or grand rounds or other type of unique learning products. But in terms of the actual community, the best thing is for somebody to come in, be able to see an actual case and either post it on their own and see reaction or to contribute. That is kind of the best um, antidote for us to get people into the product. And so ultimately when they can see cases that have been solved, when they can see um, appropriate treatments that have been discussed that are effective, it really helps them understand the value of the platform. Now, that's a really big, um, I won't say change, but it's certainly something that's, that if you go to your website and talk to people who use Figure One, they really talk about the educational aspect uh, of the cases that are presented there, the questions that are posed. Um, 
you know, was that sort of always the goal or did that sort of emerge from, from uh, the use of the system? So the original uh, mission of the company, the original goal, and really still the mission of the company is to democratize medical knowledge. And so the original kind of founding um, idea was that as a healthcare professional, certain healthcare professionals in certain parts of the world or even certain parts of, of places in the United States may not have the same information as somebody else. And so if you got sick today, um, if you're in certain parts of the world, you're gonna get great care. And in other parts, you may in fact not get the same care simply because of a lack of information. And so what we tried to do is quickly facilitate the ability for people to come in with real problems, real world cases and help get solutions. And the natural, I think, broader halo of that is that there's an education that spins out of it. So if I put in a very specific case and you're able to help me, um, that case ends up not only being useful to you, but it has a long shelf life that is useful to a lot of people. And that's the biggest thing that we've been able to kind of transform into is that it's not so much about the most recent case in the last week, but more about the platform's total aggregation of information so that if you in fact run into something three months from now that I might have put into the product six months ago, you can still quickly find that value and that education. And that's really where we start to see the snowball effect of the education. So it's, it's almost sounding a little bit like Reddit, you know, when you go and get sort of tech help and you see some posts of people, you know, having done things in the past and now you can go there and see something similar. Is that, that sort of an say, Yeah, I would say it's more, I mean, yes, but in a much more um, secure, policed sure. way, right? I think the biggest thing that we are seeing is that um, initially the value was strictly around social interaction. And the thinking was, hey, it's a social network for doctors, just as you described. But it turns out that number one, as we all know, HCPs are very busy. They don't always have time to engage socially, but they wanna be able to consume and get quality information. And so I almost think about the evolution of how I look at it a little bit like talk radio, if you will, where 99% of the audience is just listening to the conversations, 1% or a smaller percentage of the ones actually calling up and having the conversation. And so for us, we see a lot of people engaging and uploading and commenting, but at the same time, if you don't have the time to do that, or you just wanna come in and say, hey, how did other people deal with a very similar situation? Um, you can do that knowing that the information is from a quality source. Awesome. Oh, that's a great, thank you for that analogy. I love that talk radio analogy. That's awesome. So if I was a physician or a clinician, uh, what would you say to me to get me to sign up and start using figure one? So I think that the biggest things that we see uh, drive broad appeal is number one, doctors are overwhelmed. Clinicians are overwhelmed. Tons of information you can't keep up. There are also uh, many of them, at least here in the United States, asked to see more and more patients, especially as more and more of them become employed. You have newer doctors who are essentially looking to get broader uh, sets of knowledge and seasoned doctors that are essentially looking to try to give back. And so the biggest thing is we can provide, again, very quick surgical-like education for you in bite-sized uh, pieces that are of really high quality. And so if you are in fact somebody who values real world learning, which is how most HCPs learn after you know, essentially the second year of medical school, we're a very quick, simple, and easy way to get that information. Um, and, and depending on where you are in your career, um, de derive very specific value to you. So you brought this up a couple of times and you just used the example there of medical education. Um, and, you know, figure one builds itself as the future of medical education. Is there uh, anything that you're seeing 
that needs to be improved when it comes to medical medical education these days? Like, is is there something we need to start doing? Is there something we need to stop doing? You know, it's it's interesting because, um, and again, it kind of I think dovetails into how Figure One has has ultimately evolved. We um, speak to a lot of medical students. We have a massive amount of medical students and residents as well. We've also done programs with, for example, the American Medical Association's Change Med Ed program. And I think most people, especially lay people, but even those in healthcare, would be stunned to learn the percentage of med students that don't ever go to class and the percentage of doctors that look things up on YouTube or other places um, specifically. And so I think what figure one has done, and we've heard this directly from many medical students, is give them a live, living, organic place to continue their education when they're not on the campus. And so if you think about the age of most medical students, not even just now, but even several years ago, you know, they're digital natives. And when we go um, on medical school campuses and talk to them, they would say things like, you know, when I leave the gross anatomy lab, which is obviously a physical place, very limited, why can't I continue to see more cases? Or why am I only limited to what's in a printed textbook? And so they are thirsty for more, which is I think part of our appeal. And so we make that very simple for them. They carry it around in their pocket and they use figure one in the same way they use their phone to do any other thing. And that's the biggest part of it. And so if I was to boil it down, I would say simpler, faster access to high quality content um, that allows people to be able to access it uh, on demand. And that's really the big piece. So, so I have to ask this question is, have you had any instances yet of figure one being incorporated into uh, medical education programs? So we've had a lot of discussions, um, not just with medical schools, but also residency programs, as well as even hospital departments about creating much more um, kind of niche versions or smaller groups within figure one. And so we're actually now with our new platform that we rolled out about eight weeks ago, actively bringing onto the, the platform um, medical school classes, residency programs, and even hospital departments, kind of in a pilot to see how those will work. So on the medical school side, it's really about the professor being able to put very specific content into the product and knowing that their students will engage. For residency programs, it's about two things really. One, helping the clinicians, the, the attending physicians and others assess competency. So you can put a case in and ask a resident you can put a quiz in or a real case and just say, walk me through your thinking process, which is hard to do. But also you can imagine a scenario where um, a bunch of residents may be showing up at 6 a.m. the next day and the attending can put the rounding cases in the product in advance and say, hey, here's the eight patients we're gonna go see, um, just so you know. And on the hospital side, we see a lot of interest in hospital departments that want quick, easy kind of second opinions, if you will, but only from their colleagues. Mm -hmm. And so they may say, I, I don't necessarily want opinions from every doctor around the world. I just want the other eight guys I practice with. And so we, we can facilitate that. Interesting, interesting. So it's, so it's sort of mini circles within the larger circle of, of that, of, of figure one. It seems both the medical educators and hospitals want to say, I would like to just have opinions from my peers and share this way using you as the platform. That's right. It's almost like a two-sided version of the, of the product where on one side you have the global community and you may with one click be able to share those cases there as well. But uh, many of the physicians we talk to, and I don't mean this in a bad way, will say, like, I don't trust, I know I'm trained at Harvard, my eight colleagues are from Harvard, and I don't necessarily care what all the rest of the world thinks, but I don't have an easy way to get the opinion of my other colleagues. And so they want to be able to do that. 
The other thing we see kind of to broaden that out just slightly is that on the health system side, um, health systems now, especially the US are employing more and more doctors. And a lot of these systems are geographically dispersed. Some may be just within the same city, like I'm on one side of LA and you're on the other and there's no way we're gonna be able to drive across town or across states. And so you and I may work for the same employer. You may be a world expert in something I need help with. And I may have no idea you exist within my universe, right? And so we can create a version of figure one that would allow that to happen. Wow. It sounds like there's a lot of exciting things happening at the company over the next 12 months. I mean, I, I what you just described it, to me would be very exciting. It, it reminds me a little bit of um, some of the tools that consulting companies have, like the Deloitte's and so forth, of just discovering experts within their own network and in their own uh, company. Uh, it, it, it sounds like it's the same thing where you can discover a world-renowned expert who you didn't know existed who works in the hospital at one state over. That's right. I mean, there's a lot of ways to, to use this, but if you think about, um, especially the economic side of it, right, which is what drives a lot of these discussions, if you think about the ability to get to a faster, more accurate diagnosis as being in the best interest of the doctor, the patient, and the health system, mm -hmm. and now you have the ability to get that done faster, you know, kind of virtually, you can really see the benefit. The other thing that we hear a lot from providers, especially in the US, is the desire to give back globally. And so things like, um, can we create a virtual tumor board for doctors who may see a case in Africa, have no idea what's going on, put it in figure one and know as a guarantee, three hematologists in Florida will take a look at it and help guide them forward. So there's a lot of opportunity to be very strategic and kind of surgical in the way we use the product for the patient's benefit. Wow, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm sure, and I'm sure your users are very excited to hear about all these uh, new features and things that are coming to figure one. You know, let me maybe end off by asking you this question. Has there been any use case of figure one that's surprised you, uh, been a pleasant surprise over, over the years? Yeah, I think I would say two things. So what's interesting is that we have had in almost every case of a global pandemic kind of been used as an early warning detection system. Mm -hmm. So we were seeing Zika cases before anybody kind of knew what was happening there. And in fact, we ended up creating a version of the app that could be used by um, folks who speak Portuguese and Spanish based off of that. We saw COVID stuff early. Um, and so, you know, there's a very specific kind of set of math that says the earlier you can catch something, it kind of leads to exponential lives saved or outcomes improved. And because we are on the pulse of what's happening literally all over the world, um, it's given us a power and the, the capability that we didn't initially think was, was possible. Um, and so we see that a lot. The second thing I would say that's kind of a smaller and more narrow version of that is in rare diseases where you can um, have somebody surface something that's unusual ultimately educate the platform on that. And then somebody else come in and kind of help diagnose something like that. So as an example, um, we had somebody post a, um, a case of a patient who had a skin rash, something that was going on that was unusual. And it turned out of all things, it was um, shiitake dermatitis, some, a weird reaction to eating shiitake mushrooms. We then had um, months later, another person post a different case and in the comment section of the case, nobody could quite figure it out. One of the users said, you know, I saw this case here months ago and it was shiitake dermatitis. Have you tested for that? And it turned out that that's actually what it was. And so it's just a really interesting way of seeing the education kind of come full circle, especially around unusual, unusual things.
Well, that's definitely encouraging. I mean, the rare disease world uh, can use all the help it can get. So it's amazing that people are using figure one in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Josh, um, final question. Is there something you want to talk about that I haven't asked you about that you want our audience to know about figure one? So the one thing I would say that's kind of really neat that we've been um, successful with that maybe people haven't thought about is um, on the podcasting side. So and it's appropriate because because of this. You know, so we are now in the third season of our podcast called DDX, Differential Diagnosis, but we've taken a very different approach than most HCP podcasts. They're 10 minutes in length typically, and they're, um, I would almost call them infotainment or edutainment, meaning each podcast is on a specific case. And it's almost like the old TV show house, if you will, where <laughs> the, a clinician will come on there. We have a physician who is the host and they will talk about a very specific case and you can kind of get this quick, but very interesting bite-sized learning. Um, we did the first season on our own with no idea what to expect. It was downloaded over 200,000 times, which is a massive number. We then did a second season just on dermatology, which was very interesting, also very, very uh, popular. And now the third season um, of which we've just dropped the first two episodes already is on rare disease. And so it's fascinating to listen to each of these rare cases. Um, and so it's not something that people may have associated with figure one, especially because they think of us as very visual, um, but we have figure one for audio, if you will. And so it's really pretty neat. Awesome. That sounds pretty fat. I will definitely have to listen to the current season. I did listen to a few of the dermatology ones and uh, that, you know, I heard about them. So they, you know, I'm looking forward to this one. This sounds pretty interesting. Good. Thank you. Josh, last question. Where, where can people find out more about figure one? So the fastest thing to do is just to go to figureone.com. You'll see the app, you'll see how it works. You'll see some of our resources. Um, you can see a link to the DDX uh, podcast if you like. That's the best place to go. Awesome. Josh, thank you for coming on the program and for sharing so much wonderful information. I really enjoyed this conversation. Appreciate thank it. Thank you, Colin. Thank you so much. This has been Colin Hung for Healthcare IT Today. Thanks for listening.